artist, the poet, the figure model who loves to show it. You suppose he could be physically attracted to her? No, man, he ain't the type. He don't get enough vitamin E. All these are beat. All these you'll meet in a bucket of blood. Let us make the scene. Crazy. Come, enjoy yourself. <laughs> Where the hilarious enjoy the horrifying. In a bucket of blood. Now you're gonna shoot me, don't you? Come to the land of living dreams. Where realists dream of the unreal. Walter, you've done something to me. Something deep down inside of my prana. Oh, Walter, I want to be with you. You're creative. Beatniks at their bawdiest. The creative urge at its most primitive. I'm deeply moved. And I shall compose a poem. Love is art. Art is love. It's the weirdest and the wildest. I don't want to make statues anymore. I want to get married to you. Usher nods me in. They know me here. I descend down the staircase behind the movie screen that only select people know about. The door at the bottom opens and I walk in. The sound of movie spoilers fill the air. The barkeep has my drink ready and motions me to the back. The rest of the crew are here already. This is my type of place and these are my type of people. Join me as we discuss the inner secrets of cinema. Have a seat in the spoiler room. You got a different, a new syllable to that. Conversation. Conversation. Yes, a different syllable. Well, everyone out there, thank you for joining us. Oh, how this day has come! We descend into the known of that we know. The steps to enlightenment is challenged only by the door in front of us. To step through that door is bravery, for behind the door, we know there is spoilage. Not of rotten variation, but instead the spoilage of the fruits of an artist's labors. Not our labors, but the artistic labors of others. But fresh are the words on the current of spoilage, as libations are consumed and secrets revealed know that the place we are but are not the spoiler room is but an ethereal existence in sea of opinions that's that's hep daddy oh <laughs> i couldn't resist i'm sorry i threw that together just before the for the recording i was where's my bongos <laughs> where's your I should have pulled my saxophone out but i forgot how to, i i don't have the chops anymore but <laughs> I couldn't resist. Door, baby. I, I couldn't resist. So, uh, yes, folks, tonight uh, for our final It's So Lifelike episode for the month, we are closing out. Uh, it's uh, uh, September. I forgot what month it was. 
Uh, that's, the li- libations you that's the libations. <laughs> I haven't even popped my libations yet. Uh, that's what Don't do that said. on camera. I, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> we are looking at Bucket of Blood from Mr. Roger Corman, starring the talented, incomparable Mr. Dick Miller. And tonight I have a great crew assembled to discuss this very interesting film. First off, she is back with us preparing herself for uh, the oncoming storm. It is none other than the one and only Miss Angelique. How are you tonight? So glad to have you back. I'm so glad to be here. You know, a rock is a rock, but a statue, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's hip, man. That's hip. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And the gentleman who keeps coming back for more. Uh, as I take him through some interesting cinematic masterpieces and others, it is none other than my right-hand man and friend, Mr. Ian Simmons. Hello, Ian. How are you? I'm doing great, man, because, you know, life is an obscure hobo bumming a ride on the octopus of art. That's right. <laughs> or yeah, is it man. omnibus of art? I omnibus. what he was saying. Octopus. Okay. No, it, it's omnibus. I, I, heard, I heard both, I swear. I, I, I watched it last night, and um, omnibus is what he says at least the first time. But remember, we're holding up our copies. I guess. We're holding up our copies. <laughs> Mine's in like a 50 movie Mill Creek oh, thing. So. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Ian and I whipped ours out, so there you go. Well, okay. I appreciate yeah, I, that, gentlemen. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> it's not blood in that bucket. Yes. Um, <laughs> wow. Sorry. Go Dukes or go home. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> right on the sandwich. What? <laughs> Butter to biscuit. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> so... Yes, uh, 1959, folks, this horror film uh, is uh, definitely one that I I really was looking forward to uh, talking about and uh, definitely interested in my panel's opinions. But before we get to there, as always, we need a synopsis. So luckily, Ian, you're off the hook tonight because we have someone who has not been here for a while. Miss Angelique, please, synopsis a bucket of blood. All right, well, Walter is a busboy in a hip beatnik cafe and he feels like he is an artist and is trying to explore that and through a series of unfortunate accidents gets really famous and then he turns to Moida murder to create his art go down you murderer go down <laughs> go down <laughs> go down <laughs> i don't have the guitar uh yeah i mean this film is you know, 1959, a B-horror, so it, it's one of those where it's not too long, uh, not exactly deep, but, you know, I, I, I'm interested to see what you, you folks feel about it. So, Angelique, you first, your first time seeing uh, A Bucket of Blood and, and your initial feelings with this film. Um, I was doing a Corman deep dive. You know, I wanted to see the original Little Shop and uh, just some of his earlier work. Um, I think I watched The Terror as well. Mm-hmm. And then Bucket of Blood, I've heard of this before, put it in, and I was just like, okay, yes. <laughs> You're like, this is what I was looking for. Yes, that is exactly what I wanted. It's actually one of my uh, comfort movies. Mm-hmm. I you can know, see I'll that. Just throw it on. Yeah. Yeah, because it's- Because I love what... Dick Miller anyway, so oh, I mean, that's just- Yeah. Who doesn't, right? How, how can you not like Dick yeah. Miller? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, uh, you know, uh, everybody sees Dick Miller, I think, as kind of that character actor who has gotten supporting roles. So you actually have, I mean, it's a young Dick Miller, but you have him in an, a starring role, in, yeah. you know, for once, which is all- actually, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, he came to the Chicago Critics Film Festival a few years ago, and I missed it, oh. but there was oh. a documentary uh, called That Guy Dick Miller, and it's about his, his yep. career. Uh, being that guy in movies yeah. <laughs> being that guy he he is like uh the other uh gentleman oh, i forgot his name right now but i used to call him the universal extra when i was a kid because he was always in every movie he is a, a, a asian f- gentleman who did a lot of extra work uh they did i think a book or something on him as well i i forgot his name off he was in die hard he's the guy that gets aced in the stairwell and he grabs the uh, uh, candy bar as well. Oh, the guy, the guy that's in um, um, Remo Big Williams. Trouble. Oh wait, no. <laughs> he's one of the um, the bad guys in Big Trouble in Little China. I know. Yeah. I know oh yeah. He's, he's he's he he was he's everywhere. <clears throat> yeah. I am escaping my name. Pardon me, folks. I have to look it up because the gentleman. Yeah, there he is, Al Leong. Uh, he was fantastic in whatever role he was in, even though it was you know either small roles or or cat, you know side roles i always loved seeing him in a movie the minute he showed up in a movie he was one of those guys like dick miller the minute he shows up movie just gets so much better for me yep. just because it's they're going there. down <laughs> just, even if they're there, not there that long it's just still it's like yeah you know uh it's cool to spot these folks and uh, robert info bomb is with us tonight already dropping some info bombs and he says you can't forget miller as the gun salesman in terminator absolutely yes mr dick miller and of course the timeless mr futterman and the timeless mr <laughs> futterman of course and the unkillable mr futterman there's no way that they should have survived that uh <laughs> wow. Uh, and InfoBob says there's no small roles, just short actors. <laughs> oh, but yes, uh, Ian, a bucket yeah. of blood. Uh, what about you? How, 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 what are your initial feelings with this uh, when you first saw it? Well, that, I mean, that's the this is kind of a rare thing, Mark, because mm. I've actually seen this movie before. <laughs> Yes. All right. Get out of town. No, seriously. I, I and it's weird because I'm like I don't remember when I saw it, and then there was a splinter in my brain, so I just looked it up. I actually talked about it on my show a couple of years ago with David Fowley. Oh, when this Blu-ray from Olive Films came out. Yeah. Um. So, but I hadn't watched it in a couple of years, so I put it on this morning at 4 a.m. So prime, you know, viewing time and and <laughs> and state of mind. It's it's great. Uh, mm-hmm. I think this is the first time that I was really conscious of watching a Roger Corman film. And he's, I've always associated with him, uh, him with being kind of like uh, schlocky, you know, right. great people have come out of the Corman school of filmmaking. Um, but, you know, this, this is a great, funny, you know, dark movie. It's that perfect blend of horror comedy where everything is so absurd but when the terror uh, shows up, it's kind of all the more horrifying because it, it becomes no laughing matter. Uh, the, the sculptures that Walter Paisley comes up with, you realize there's like rotting people inside there, but everyone is just so caught up in the, the hype of it being great art that it's like nobody notices. Uh, yeah, I, I, I love this movie. I also say it's strange because it's basically like one of those hour-long Twilight Zone episodes that they Almost. did in season yeah. five. 
because it's only an hour and seven minutes long or something like that. You can just breeze right through this. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't long. You're looking at 59. They shot everything on film. They're looking on a limited budget. So, of course, you're going to, you know, it's not exactly you, you keep it thin. And, and we've had this discussion before. I think, I, in all honesty, as much as I love the digital age, do not get me wrong. I think when it comes to digital filmmaking and the fact that you can just have more and more hard drives if you want versus, well, we only have 800 feet of film and we've got three scenes to shoot. So go this dialogue, get rid of this dialogue. and this scene. We're just doing the plot scenes, no fat, no extra fluff. We just keep it lean. And that's what the story is. I mean, it is lean. There is not a lot of time between the kills. And yet Dick Miller, you know, and it, it, Dick Miller still manages to work in an arc with the development of his character who starts off as this simple bus boy. And man, if you ever want to know the talent of Mr. Dick Miller, you watch this movie because I just love him in this. I mean, yeah. wouldn't you say, Angelique, this is a just a phenomenal performance by Mr. Miller? <laughs> Absolutely, because at the beginning, you're totally on Walter's side. And I'm like, come here, sweetheart. Come on. We'll color. Let's make some art. You know? You know? <laughs> <laughs> but then he gets caught up in that glitz and glamour and realizes, okay, well, the only way people pay attention to me is when I have to do something awful. Right. You know, so then it's like, no, Walter, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh go ahead Ian well I was going to say like that um, there's a movie we kind of talked about in the pre-show mm. uh, Don't Worry Darling and that is a film that purports to be about you know to take aim at incels but it doesn't understand what incels are mm. Walter Paisley is like the proto-incel um, <laughs> and, and that's not I'm not like giving any kind of negative connotation to it necessarily mm. But incel is an involuntary celibate, someone who just right. can't, you know, make it happen with, you know, the opposite sex or the same sex or can't just can't get like romantically entangled for whatever reason. Uh, Walter, that that's him to a T. And that really comes out at the end when he's trying to get with, uh, oh, my gosh, what was her name? I want to say Carol, but that doesn't sound right. He, um, Car Carla. 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 Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Got my got my letters mixed up. <laughs> but so it's when. You know, Walter Paisley, it seems like he changes over the course of this movie, but I feel more like he's revealed. Mm. You know, it's not because the, the behavior that he exhibits at the end of this, this is not some, you know, I was uh, exposed to radiation in a lab and it completely changed <laughs> my personality. This is Walter Paisley. And if you watch the movie, you know, if you kind of watch it closely, he is a busboy. Who wants to be an artist he really wants to be an artist but he is not at all a creative person and it's so frustrating that it eats at him because he spends all of his time around creative people and he sees them being successful and well off and getting involved in fantastic you know sexual relationships i'm sure he feels that that is his way into you know uh, working with people or like getting into a relationship and it just doesn't happen for him and it drives him crazy Wow. <laughs> Nail on the head, man. That wow. is. Okay. Well, that's 
that's what happens when you have a uh, Rotten Tomatoes uh, Critic Society member on your board. You know, on your stop panel. it. I, I I almost had to take that review down, Mark. <laughs> It was it was a beautiful review of, of uh, check it out, folks, on Kicking the Seat. Uh, it was very creative review of Don't Worry, Darling. Um, but in this, you're you know, you, you're right on that. And also uh, what's frustrating, you feel Walter Paisley's frustration, even though you're not approving of his killing. You do feel his frustration because he, as he acts as a, a quote unquote, a simple person, as many people refer to him and in fact the one guy uh the one uh poet who he admired uh, i think mentioned something to the effect of walter has a clear mind if something came in the mind it'd look around and leave again <laughs> i'm like wow. that guy was awesome I'm like, wow he looked like that guy looked like tom hardy cosplaying <laughs> ernest hemingway <Yes>. so good <laughs> But yeah, he was. He was a great character. But where I was going with this is that he he seemed like that to everybody, but he understood. I mean, he showed that he rem- he memorized the guy's poem the minute he spouted it off. And when the guy got off stage, he's like, I don't remember what I said. Yet Paisley could word for word recite it. Paisley understood the beatnik dialogue. He understood the artistic language. He didn't have the talent for it, which is sad because if you think about it, Walter probably could have made a great art critic because he'd understand. Yeah. He just can't do. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing is I don't know if he understood. He could he could absorb and regurgitate for no, sure. That's true. Cause, yeah, because most of the stuff that these people are spouting isn't meant to be understood. It's it's yeah. poetic. It's really poetic nonsense. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you like watch. Uh, when Walter goes to wait on tables and he's he's regurgitating the stuff that the that the mm-hmm. poet had said, the the things that he had forgotten allegedly, he's saying it almost as if he had come up with it himself. Right. We know that he is kind of ripping it off because we are <laughs> privileged to see things that those patrons weren't. But right. um, yeah, it's uh, it's really cool. But but and he's using those elements to try to fit in because you get the feeling Walter's been picked on most of his life. Not just here yep. at the beatnik world, you know. <laughs> and uh, what his uh, his uh, boss is it Maxwell or was it? Yeah, it was Maxwell. I think that was his uh, boss. Um, you realize oh, he's or not? No, who, which one was his? No, boss? his boss is uh, DeSantis. Leonard DeSantis. Yeah. That's right, guy. Leonard. Yeah, was, yeah, you're right. Sorry. Yeah, Maxwell was the the poet guy. Uh, DeSantis was the uh, owner. And he picks up really quick. I, I love the fact of this actor who plays the Anthony Carbone. Everybody, okay, let's put it right now. Not just Dick Miller does great in the acting. The reason this film works so well, I think, is everybody does well in the acting for the type of film it is. Yeah. And and his character, he figures out that the cat that Walter brings in was a real cat because uh, some of the fur peeked out from the clay but yet he's like oh i can sell it so he doesn't think about it too much and he's trying to figure out how he can spin this to be a positive but also you can tell he has at least a little bit of morals going i don't necessarily want to encourage him to start to go kill a bunch of wildlife <laughs> you know? or when he discovers um <clears throat> 
the great Bert Convy was one of the, yes. uh, the, the victims uh, playing the Fed. That was, that was a great thing. Like, I, I'm convinced half the people in the Yellow Door Cafe were, were cops. There's <laughs> like that yep. phone booth outside and they're just calling each other, calling back to headquarters. <laughs> like, yeah, I think this person's sniffing glue or whatever. But then, uh, you know, Hopped Bert up Con- on goofballs. Right. <laughs> I want that on a t-shirt. Hopped up on goofballs. <laughs> Um, Lou Rabby was his name, I think. Yeah. Oh, right. The, was okay. the character so, name. Yeah. Right. Lou. So when Lou is killed fantastically off screen, one of the best screen deaths ever, you know, the struggle. And then there's the, the oversized, almost cartoonish frying pan. Cause Walter is going to make Not pancakes. just a frying pan. That thing was like, it was like a walk with a stick. Flat. It was well, like a blade almost. I, I think that was meant to be like a, a pizza pan, in all honesty. Like, you know, for you, so it was could, almost like a griddle. It had but a almost like a griddle. Yeah, you're right. Well, he yeah. said he was he said he was gonna make pancakes. Pancakes. Yeah. So it was a griddle, um, yeah. Yeah. And and it's just there's kind of a struggle because Lou has a gun out and he's like, you know, you're coming with me and and who <laughs> who are you working for? Me. You're right. You're gonna shoot me. You're gonna shoot me. And then he and he lowers the thing off screen and then when it comes back you see the blood on yeah. the end of it and you don't because it's 1959 they're not going to show anything but when they reveal the sculpture there's there's a giant gash down the middle of this guy's head and you can see like like lumps of clay so you just imagine brains and stuff dripping out it's terribly what do you call effective. this one walter murdered man murdered man <laughs> <laughs> well and what helps sell that scene again is the acting of Leonard uh, of Anthony Carbone in this scene because here he already realized that uh, uh, Walter is claying dead things. So then he says, "Oh, I made a human figure," and he's like, "What? Wait, wait, what?" And yeah, he's like, no, no, he did it. And the minute it, he's just—it's great because he's in the background too. You've got in the foreground, you've got Walter. He reveals it. To Carla, his his muse, you know, he, the, the woman who he really cares for, and she's just in awe. And you watch DeSantos. The actor doesn't say anything, but you can see it in his eyes and his just maneuvers. He If it was he, in color, he would have been great. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, like, immediately puts together. It does not take him long to realize what Walter did, yet he's trying to play cool, but not doing a very good job. But... That's what makes just the one scene, and it's all in one frame, but that's what makes it seen is not just is Walter being so happy, Carla in awe, and this guy in the back horrified, like, what the fuck am I gonna do? Well, and but, and you can see him scrambling, like trying to make a plan, like, you know, Walter, I think we should, yeah, we should give you a show. We need like 10 pieces, but I think you should take a break from making art for just a while. Go abstract. <laughs> Go abstract. <Yeah>. Right. <laughs> What were you going to say, oh. Angelique? <laughs> oh, my thing is, you know, uh, as someone who works with clay on occasion, you know, these are, he's popping these things out one after the other. Those things aren't dry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, that's what shows later on. I mean, that ends up being his downfall is that they're not quite dry. I mean, that's why people are kind of able to rub, you know, the, the clay off is that it's, it's not really set yet. It's not like he had a huge body sized kiln to put these, these. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about House of Wax a few years ago. I just imagine like if they had been allowed to set, like eventually people poke through, they have like, you know, oh, yeah, dust and <laughs> particles, maybe some bugs got in there somehow. Bugs. Maybe yeah. mummified. Mummified. Mm. There you go. There you that go. That makes it twice as valuable. Yeah. It, I, you yeah. know, there's so many great 
it, it sounds bad, but you can see and even in here why later on horror f- horror filmmakers have studied Corman films because if you look at this film, it, it you could say precursor to slasher films in all honesty, because we get creative kills. They're not just like a, a gunshot or some guy falls off a day. Like you said, guy gets his head cleaved. The other one, which I thought was is really effective, is he's like, I need another piece. So he's angry. He, he leaves this, the, the place and he ends up finding this woodworker with a table saw. And again, 1959, we get him struggling with the guy while the table saw is going on and we get the table saw moving and then that's it. You're like, okay, what, what's he going to make out of this? And then the next day he shows up with a box a la seven. Uh, <laughs> and again, again, Carbone, Leonard DeSantis character just shines as he pulls the head out of the box. <laughs> I mean, I think my favorite it, is the chick he strangled. Oh yeah, talk the, about the that, model Angelique. that was rude yeah. to him. Yeah. Well, before we talk about her, I th- that that scene with the head happens outside the cafe during the daytime. Yeah. When the head is revealed, I think DeSantis looks over and he sees uh, like a newspaper boy in an yeah. alley saying, "Here, read all about it. A headless body found in alley. <laughs> <laughs> Mystery deepens, or something like that." Yeah, a like, man, oh. a man just before. Yeah, again, great Corman shows you why he got the honorary Oscar he did because of the, the craftsmanship of this very short little B horror film. You've got the newspaper guy talking about someone getting cut in half. And that's before Walter reveals the head. He just says, I haven't. Oh yeah. I thought Cause he okay. comes up with the box and goes, I have a new project. And then you hear the boy with the newspaper right after he says, I have a new project. The newspaper boy says, read all about it. Man cut in half. Mystery thickens. And DeSantis is like, and he looks over. At, he looks over at Paisley and looks at the box. And he's like, you can tell he's like, do I really want to know what's in the box? And then he pulls out the head and he's like, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's that's great. Yeah. <laughs> But but you were talking about um, the the lady that he strangled. Yeah. Yeah, the model. Mm-hmm. Right. That 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 that's where he starts to get really creepy because he follows her back to her apartment, and I had forgotten that they actually go back. <clears throat> like he kind of sweet talks her into going back to his place, which is when he actually does the deed but when that look on his face when he's strangling her and like oh. well not just that but when when they're in the cafe talking mm-hmm. you know and she's like well i'm a model and this and that but you could never afford me or whatever she says and she pisses him off and you can tell in that moment he's gonna kill her yeah you can see the decision being made yeah <laughs> yep he's gonna kill her it's no longer accidental like the cat mm. purely an accident terribly sad it, it we get <laughs> we, we get these two we get these two characters that hang out in in the uh the art the the you know beatnik place these guys are yeah, rosencrantz and Guildenstern. yeah yeah they're pretty much rosencrantz and Guildenstern. these guys are like high off their ass or something all the time and they just show up and it's like you gotta do nudes man everybody to, if you're a real artist real artists do nudes yeah man people like dude 
And you got Maxwell in the middle going, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm sitting here with these two. (laughs) (laughs) But you're right, that look. And again, this is why I say if you want to see the talent of Dick Miller, it's this one. It's this scene with her. He goes through this whole gambit of emotions. He's he's needing the clay as if thinking, how am I exactly going to do this? And we're talking 1959, but it's still a salacious scene, isn't it, Angelique, with what mm-hmm. they're doing with with Alice? Oh, she's she's taking her clothes off. How do you want me? Well, he's like, well, sit in this chair. And he's got that scarf. You're just kind of <laughs> draping it. And then all of a sudden, yoink, you know? <laughs> well, well, what's interesting with that scarf is, you, you know, you're like sitting there going, okay, how is he going to do this, right? I mean, because she's sitting there from the back, obviously, uh, you know, censorship and all that. But she's still nude. Um, and you're like, how she's gonna do that? Then he gives her the scarf, and you know what's coming. But you're like, okay, is he just gonna choke her? No, he gives it to her, lets her tie it around her neck first, and then he's like, oh, let me just adjust this. And then, and the minute he pulls it, his face goes from, you know, kind of reluctant Walter to one of the scariest faces I've ever seen Dick Miller because, I mean, oh, it he is goes blank. It's. <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean, you've seen pictures of Ted Bundy, you know, in the courtroom. It's that total just absence of humanity. Yeah, it's, he, it's killing. He's committed to it. And he's he's like, yeah, I'm doing this. And he's like, this is what I'm doing. You know, <laughs> and it's just like, wow. And that's at the point of the movie, too. I mean, because you can even kind of excuse. You can't excuse the beheaded guy, okay? That's where he kind of gets into it. But even the way he was doing it, it was maybe out of anger or whatnot, okay? You know, his first kill was out of fear. This one was just out of spite. This was just sheer cold-blooded murder, this third one. It's like, you know, she, Alice, was cold-blooded. There was there was no accident. There was no out of rage. He just <laughs> he straight up kills her. Well, it's... it's- I was going to say funny. It's not funny, but no. you know, I think that one of the next times we see him is at the the party that's being thrown in his uh, honor, uh, the, the kind of the big show. Right. He's completely drunk <laughs> off his ass and wearing this like paper crown and everything. And uh, you can tell that everything is just kind of catching up to him. But he's also succumbing to this madness and rage. Right. And again, DeSantos, his his buddy. Uh, well, not his buddy. His boss is like, yeah, maybe you've had too much to drink because if you say you might start saying too much. It's like <laughs> he's just like, you know, maybe you should cut back a little and just head home, you know, uh, before you start talking about how you actually do your sculptures. Of course, by then, that's when Carla discovers the the uh, uh, Alice is not uh, <laughs> a full sculpture. <laughs> It was the it was the finger, right? It yeah, the the melt kind of peeling off the finger. I think it was at this scene that the there's that art patron guy who was he wanted to really buy the cat. Yeah, and so DeSantis said, "Yeah, uh, I'll give you five hundred dollars for it. I'll give it to you later because he had to, I guess, stuff the fur back in and <laughs> just sculpt over it. Catch it, but <laughs> yeah, right. But he, but I, I love that that Walter was so happy because his cut of that he didn't know how much DeSantis had worked out for him. He's like. You know what, Walter? I'm going to give you your cut. Here's fifty dollars <laughs> yeah. of commission for the work, and he was so ecstatic about it. But no, at that at that show, there was the art critic and the art dealer, 
-hmm. and the art dealer is like, yeah, I just bought this piece for 1500 and the art critic is like, you know, it'll probably be 5,000 by the time my review comes out. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And yeah, it's, and it's funny because we have, we have some commentary on the beatnik artistic, uh, lifestyle because these people are so full of themselves in a way some of them they they just are taking this like you know nobody's questioning how suddenly he's just whipping these together they just think it's talent you know it's the one non-art guy the, his boss that's like nah there's something <laughs> <laughs> well he doesn't like the beatniks anyway he knows no. they're all just pompous frauds you know, as long as they're buying coffee, though, it doesn't really matter, you know. <laughs> well, that was hilarious is he had the cat and, and people were praising him. Hey, you're a real artist now because Maxwell did a poem about him. And suddenly he's famous in the beatnik and his boss is like, you know what? Why don't you take the rest of the night off? What do you do? And he's like, what? You don't want me to clear the tables? He's like, look, it, it's great. You're an artist and all, but them cheering you means they're not drinking coffee. <laughs> <clears throat> There is so much in this movie about the relationship between art and commerce and Mm -hmm. and fame that, you know, anybody who's interested in that relationship, I think, could watch Bucket of Blood and appreciate on an entirely different level. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, there's a lot. It's only an hour long, but there's it's lean it it keeps its point and it makes that commentaries i mean you you can tell he's talking about that beatnik lifestyle (laughs) like the two guys are like oh man this is getting heavy it's like what's this maybe we should start drinking (laughs) (laughs) and then when they're talking about pancakes like just yeah Yeah. just some buckwheat pancakes you know (laughs) well because when they were talking about, yeah, the wheat germ pancakes, organic guava juice, and soybean something or other, I was like, this probably sounded way outrageous in 1959. Now it just sounds like, you know, the tasting, the, the menu sample menu at, at Whole Foods. Yeah, yeah, right? It's like everybody's doing this shit now. Well, it, it made me wonder what was going on with it, too, because I'm listening to him talk. I'm like, are they going to Starbucks? What? I mean, because they're in a coffee house, you know? And they're they're ordering organic stuff and guava stuff. It's like you said, yeah, it's you watch it. It's like come full circle again. Here we are. You know, that's 1959, 60 years later. That is normal. (laughs) I mean, the coffee house is not a odd thing for just poets. Now there's one on every corner. Yeah, I just thought of something someone needs to do. And this would be like super niche. Someone needs to do a, a bucket of blood pop-up coffee shop. Oh, like and have like the Walter Paisley God. sculptures and have people in costume and serve oh. those crazy drinks. Wow. Oh, let's do it. Don't steal this idea, folks. This is Yeah, copyright, <laughs> copyright spoiler room and kicking the seat. Yep. And and probably the Corman estate. And the somehow. Corman estate. <laughs> Corman, Corman estate may have something to say There's about it. There's plenty of sure. cats around here. I can get to work we won't, sculptures. We won't say it's a bucket of blood pop-up, but we'll call it we'll call it Paisley's. 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 We will call it Paisley's and we will just have Paisley's pop-up. There you go. That that sort of resemble the set and sort of resemble the statues. Because if we vary it by 33%, it's satire. It's parody. 
What? Right. It's, if we can change it by 33%, we're good. So there you go. We just don't leave, we don't have real bodies in the statues. There's your 33% right there. Because <laughs> otherwise, so no, know, okay, so no bodies in the statues. No bodies in the statues. Because if we put uh, the bodies, no, we've just lost Angelique. <laughs> no, no I, well, I mean, just for, for legal, le no bodies. No body. Right. There are no, no bodies. bodies. Parts of bodies. No bodies. We, we don't condone homicide in the name of no, art on this show. No, we no, do not. Absolutely no. not. Not at all. <laughs> and we are joined by Stuff Burrito and Jonathan. So glad you guys could join us over in, in Twitchland. Thank you so much for joining us. We're talking about the Roger Corman classic. Um, yeah, the pop-up would be great. And you know you could get people. It would be niche. But you know anyone who'd show up would know the film. That's the thing is, you know exactly the audience that would come to Paisley's pop-up. <laughs> I, yeah. I want that to happen now. I, the statues alone, you just get an artist to commission it, and there you go. One of the, one of the other great scenes about this, and again, yes, I'm gushing. This film, this is why I encourage people to look past, you know, look at old films, especially even if they're B films, because the wonderful scene with the cop, he kills the cop, but then he's got to stow him somewhere because he's got a nosy landlady. So he, he sticks the Walter. guy. Walter. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and the way it's played out in the set, you think maybe he's covered the body uh, <laughs> with uh, one of the blankets for the furniture, the way it's set up, because he doesn't open this door right away. All we do is hear rummaging around in his apartment from the landlady's perspective so when she comes in it starts snooping around and she's about ready to pull the you know the blanket off the couch you think oh no that's where it is but that's not where it is while she's snooping around you see the far back a hand drop down with some blood on it and you're like oh that's that's cool right and then it gets even cooler because when she leaves he gets frustrated and he notices the hand with the blood. And so he puts a bucket underneath and then he starts cleaning the blood on the rug. And I love this scene because as he's cleaning, the blood from the body is pouring more and more out of the hand into the bucket. And you just hear the dripping of the, it's like, mm -hmm. this is just an hour and some odd minute 1959 <laughs> B movie. And this is directed so well and acted so well it's uh, that's one of the reasons why i love this movie so <laughs> it really does have everything it's even it's it's even funny too yeah. like when lou confronts walter about because uh was it neolia was one of the hangers on at the at the cafe Ah, oh, that's it yeah gives walter a little thing of a little packet turns out it's heroin um, and Lou bursts into Walter's apartment and, you know, gets the heroin and says, like, this is, you know, it's H, it's horse, it's heroin. Um, and he says, Walter says, well, it sure was nice of Neolia to give me a really yes. expensive horse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what got me is, I, you know, and that's what's funny is I, I we don't condone murder here. But within the context of the film, <laughs> it's one thing where. Even here, at this time when this film is made, they are showing how this cop isn't exactly on the up and up because he knows Walter didn't buy the heroin from the guy. He knows Walter enough to be 
pardon me, but not understand enough of what he has. So if he was a decent guy, he would have just taken the heroin and left and said, it's okay, you know, Walter, you shouldn't have this. I'll take it. Realizing Walter didn't know what he had, but no, he's going for the arrest. He wants to bust Walter, you know, because it's, yeah, I got to disagree a little bit because if everybody who, if everybody who was involved in drugs, even tangentially, got uh, got away with it because they played stupid, uh, that'd be a big problem. He at least needed to take him downtown. Well, yeah, okay, I could see the take him downtown, but not arrest him and charge him with heroin. Just ask him some but questions. That's how you get but, to take him downtown. Well, no, you you can ask questions. You don't have to charge. You could ask him to come down. You don't have to pull a gun. You don't have to pull a gun on him. Plus, he's... And but wait, this is 2022. So my, my my counter my counter to that would only be he's been at the he's been at the cafe long enough to know how Walter is to if he's a good cop realize this isn't just an act for Walter. He's a simple guy. He's been a simple guy for quite some time. I I guess for me I'm just I think for me personally the way I took it is I'm like sitting here go really really you really think. This guy, I mean, like, out of, you know, out of all the people you would follow, you really think this guy knows what he has and is a heroin, you know, user? Come on, you know. Well, if he doesn't know what he has, and this isn't like a police procedural podcast, no. but he would at least be able to question Walter about where he got it from, who he knows at the cafe that gave it to him and all that. And you probably want to do that in the context of dum, the dum. police station, right? Well, that's, yeah. I guess, yeah, that's true. But I mean, he could say he could have just taken him down to the police station to ask him some questions, but he immediately charged him. And that's what sparked Walter going, well, no, I, I'm, he's like, I didn't know what I, and then he pulls the gun on him. You know, you know what I mean? It, it does. Yeah, escalate. He's like, she gave me something for my headache. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, Walter, this is heroin. He's like, I didn't know. He's like, take it if you want. And he's like, I don't want it. Um, you know, and I understand, you know, it, it's the, 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 the officer's job. But at the same time, if he's been undercover long enough with Walter the way he is, to have Walter respond when he's asking him the questions, I would have thought would have been enough rather than him. It just felt like he was trying to go for the collar is more so than anything, you know, that he, he wanted the collar and he wasn't going to take any answer Walter gives at all, regardless right, of what but, he might but, know of Walter. But I mean, that's also his job is to get the collar, right? Well, yeah, what if but, this whole thing comes out and, little Walter Paisley turns out to be the Kaiser Sosa of the operation. <laughs> They're like, why didn't you arrest the kingpin when you were standing in his apartment Mary, holding evidence? It's, it's the Heisenberg. Like, he so, the Heisenberg. I didn't think anything about him, you know? Just little Walter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was going to make guess. pancakes. <laughs> Plus the whole sure. gun thing. I mean, Walter Paisley was off acting very nervous and erratic and holding a giant sharp... Well, he came instrument in his hand. He came in with no warrant, though, either. So, you know, I mean, uh, <laughs> I don't know. But he at least should have called his superior first, which he didn't. He just went ahead and went after Walter. He did not call his superior first. He should have done that if we want to get down to brass tacks. But I, I don't know if you need to call your superior when you're an undercover cop. Well, I'm not sure that, how that all worked. Walter was already way ahead. So, I mean, 
but I don't know. I just, I guess for me, I was just like, yeah, okay. You know, the guy, I think he took it a little far, but that was just, that's just me. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, yes, Stuff Burrito, we're spoiling a 1959 movie. He says so soon. <laughs> yeah, so soon for a 59 movie. But, um, you know, it, and then we talk about how this movie goes from kind of this weird, quirky film to a very dark film. Then we get the final scenes where it, it, it's out. You know, for we've seen we see him get pushy with his girl because he's gotten confidence now. Not only has he gotten away with murder, but he's got his art and people are considering him an artist. And then we get this awkward conversation with him and his 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 lady uh you know uh, barbara morris plays carla so well uh, i i i loved her character too and and angelique what do you think of this conversation on the bench ouch <laughs> <laughs> i mean um she was as nice as she could have been I yeah. mean, she was very kind. She was very kind to Walter. Mm -hmm. um, but looking at it now through the lens that, that Ian put on with the whole insult thing, that it, it, it went bad. He had the sense of entitlement. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. well, now that I'm an artist, you... You like me now because I'm an artist, so you owe me. Well, not only that, but they had uh, imbibed in the the spirits when they were celebrating his latest artwork, and she gave him a kiss, and he immediately took that as, oh, hey, That's all right. Bells, yeah. That's wedding. Literally <laughs> yeah. go from kiss to wedding bells, which, again, fits the context of what Ian put uh, this character in. Now, now that you think of it through the 2022 lens, you didn't have yeah. a label for him back in the day, but, you know, you could see that. <laughs> yeah. Walter's so. not a nice guy. No. Walter, it makes you wonder, was Walter ever really? And I think we, you know, asked that before. It is was Walter ever really a nice guy? He was a... He was considered a, pardon the term, but they, they, it's what they use in the film, and a, a simple gentleman, as they, many considered, a very basic gentleman. But they equate that immediately with nice, and we learn that's not exactly the case. Yeah, you know. How many other dead cats does he have in his life? <laughs> well, the cat was it a mistake. I mean. Or was know, it, Mark? Well, well, I mean, you don't necessarily you attack exactly the wall with a knife. That's 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 an excellent. I hadn't even thought about that. I I know he was trying to get at the like get the, around the drywall because his cat somehow right. got stuck in the wall. But yeah, he he got it right where he needed to to kill yeah. that cat. I think I think he's punched his share of walls <laughs> before he reached for the knife. Well, well, great. Until up until now, thanks, Angelique. But now that I'm looking at that scene too because the cat is making a lot of noise and it's bugging him because he had a rough and night. He flies off the handle. And he listens in the wall first of where the cat could be and he gets the knife. Is Subconsciously, maybe he was killing the cat on purpose. I'm never going to be able to watch this movie again, guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's just funny talking about it and we peel back the layers of the onion, if you will. 
and that's what makes this movie great is at the surface first time you watch it, but then you start thinking about more and more of the nuanced things that Walter does, even his reactions when we first meet him in the cafe, he, he has some underlying aggression towards his boss. He has, because his boss and Carla are so close. DeSantos and Carla are close. They're just, as far as we know, there's nothing going on, but they're close. They giggle. He makes her laugh. And that triggers him right off the bat. You know, he he wants to be the artist, yet your bosses tell him, dude, pick up the mugs. And people are giving him shit, you know, and, and bullying him. At first, you're like, oh, yeah. But at the same time, you're like, wait, what's going on in his head? We, we soon find and even, out. I mean, even the bullying mm-hmm. wasn't wasn't really bullying no it was just general ribbing i mean it's yeah you get the feeling that as much as people ribbed him if something happened to him they would care i mean this beatnik this is still a group of artists this still is a group of folks who who are heightened in emotions and such so you know i think if something happened actually to uh Walter, they would feel bad, or you know, for about kind of five remorse. minutes. Well, yeah, they'd feel bad for five minutes, and then they'd go make art about their dearly departed Walter and make it all about them. Exactly. Well, yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> just that's just what this group does. You know, here's but... a song, here's a poem, here's a painting. <laughs> <laughs> I loved after Walter killed the one guy, though. How again this is the dark humor of corman you cut and then the next the, the song being sung by the guy is go go down you murderer <laughs> it's like, again it's lean right ian so you've got to you well, can, it's, it's it's a lean yeah movie, it's also so. what he would ho- it's what he had hoped that carla would say <laughs> oh, sorry, what? But the, the but the question is, would he have to take a ball of clay with him or not? Because you know, <laughs> sorry, actually, <laughs> mold it, shape it. You know, it's a yeah, it's a makeshift diaphragm. <laughs> well, well, we didn't have we didn't have. Lens. Well, I mean, he he did have the potential to murder that poussoir, so so he did. <laughs> Stabbed it with a knife. Ah, huh? oh, oh, yeah. Well, he didn't have lambskin, so he opted for clay. There you go. Yeah. Just, just the clay got, was just a the clay was a Trojan horse for the bodies inside. That's right. All right. He just had a problem of letting it harden first. He just was too, <laughs> he was too quick. He didn't let his clay harden. So you know. Angelique's turning red. It's usually me making these jokes. <laughs> hey, help me out with something here. Yeah. Because I have I have never understood the ending. When I say never, I mean the both times I've watched it. I get that, you know, man on the run and all of that. He gets into his apartment. He's desperate. He starts hearing the voices of his victims, which is very right. cool. Everybody bursts into the door and he's hanging himself. It looks like he's got clay dripping from his face. So he met, did he try and like sculpt himself and then hang himself? Because it, yes. it doesn't look, I guess it's because he didn't have much time, but it doesn't look like one of his sculptures exactly. Those it's, things look very much like 
molded well, clay. This looks like you know wet face goo. He he hung him. I think what the 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 way I put together the sequence of events. He grabs clay, climbs up, puts the noose on. As he's kicking away the chair or whatever, plops it on his head. Yeah. Mm. While he's struggling. Yeah, it's it's not supposed to look like one of his actual because, I mean, he's doing it to himself while he's dying. Um, you know, so it's supposed to look hackneyed. You're supposed to just get the idea enough that he tried, like that, you know, that he was attempting to be his final piece of work, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that, too. And, and you know, future filmmakers should watch this and take noted that he says that he's going to be able to go to one place where they won't be able to get him. And he looks, you know, like at a window or something. So you're like, okay. And then we just cut away. We don't know what he means. And then people bust into the room. And I love how we get the reaction of everyone before we ever see what actually happened to Walter. So for a while, what we've seen Walter do, you're like, what did he do? <laughs> yeah, no, did he do all Hellraiser on himself before he died? Or what? <laughs> Jesus wept. <laughs> you know, and, and that's, that's, that's a great that's a great plug, by the way, Mark. Oh, thank you, thank you. You like that, huh? Uh, <laughs> stay tuned. Uh, thank you. Uh, but uh, that's what we call foreshadowing. But no, uh, <laughs> yeah, it and, and that's what you're supposed to take. I think that's what I took away too. Is that he tried to be a piece of art as he killed himself um because you know he realized what he did you know i mean that's that slap back to reality it wasn't just the fact he was scared of going back to jail i think the the weight of everything like we said the voices was a great effect of him realizing just exactly how he got here (laughs) and what he had to do i mean there's no other way you really end this he has to die no matter how sympathetic or how bad you feel for Walter, he's got to die for what he's done. You know, there's just, there's no way around it. There is another way you do this. <clears throat> it's the house of wax way where he kills everybody in the yellow door cafe and turns it into a giant. Here's that word again. Tableau of death. Inside oh, the there cafe. You go. <laughs> <laughs> and then David Werner shows up and goes, I'd like to buy this place from you. And he's like, sure, here you go. <laughs> and then he puts Dude, the this devil curse. <laughs> we can connect the entire House of Wax, Waxwork, Bucket of Blood universe. It's, wow. the, it's the WCU. It's the Waxwork Cinematic Universe. It's great. <laughs> there you go, folks. They're all, it's all connected. There you go. <laughs> from, from a Bucket of Blood to Waxworks to House of Wax. There you go. It, it's, it's all it's all comes together. I mean, it's similar to House of Wax, you know, and it's funny because you, you see the movie House of Wax and we talked about it at the beginning of the month, Ian, where it was a remake, but you watch this film. This film has a lot more similarities to the 2000s uh, House of Wax than House of Wax does to House of Wax. <laughs> yeah. It does. You know, it, it very much does. So maybe, you know, Maybe Walter did have a fling we don't know about, and these were his kids, you know, uh, <laughs> in House of Wax, or his grandkids, I should say. There you go. See, now we can really connect all of these together. Oh. Next time I watch 
the House of Wax from 2005. I'm going to look for look for that paper crown in the house when the yes. brothers are fighting with or, each other. Or the paper star. One of the two. Of, there you go. This star. was Papa's. This was Papa's. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Uh, well, I think we'll wrap it up here. As we said, this isn't this isn't a long film, but you can tell from our discussion tonight. I think it is a is a film that I think you should watch. And we'll go around and get final thoughts for uh, Waxworks, and uh, we'll start with you, Angelique. Your final thought with not Waxworks, uh, with a bucket of blood. Uh, what is your final thought with this film? Would you recommend it? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Not only is it just a, a classic, you know, if you really want to get into that early heyday of the B movie, mm-hmm. you know, again, from our conversation and just, you know, personal thought about the movie, it's a lot more intricate than it appears. Mm-hmm. So yes, absolutely. Watch this one. How about you, Ian, your final thought and recommendation? Oh, highest recommendation. Um, yeah, it's, it's brief, but I mean, and that's not, it's just amazing to watch, you know, today, how long movies are, and they don't have half as much interest in the entire runtime of this movie. I mean, this bucket of blood is tight. It's got satire and horror and wonderful performances and huge things to think about. And it's only an hour long. I mean, <laughs> honestly, I feel like when I was watching this this morning, I'm like, mo- most modern filmmakers should be embarrassed <laughs> if their films cannot be judged properly against bucket of blood. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree, too. And this is where, like I said uh, in the beginning, the digital media, I think, has taken a bit away from uh, keeping your film lean and mean. I mean, this film is the way it is, one, because Corman had a limited budget and it was, you know, film cost money. So you got to make the most of every frame you're shooting. And while we do still have some filmmakers using film like uh Robert Baum, I think, uh, Infobomb mentioned, you know, Cameron, and I think, yeah, Ron Howard and Scorsese, some folks uh, are still using digital film. Most of the digital filmmakers, you know, they're, they're shooting stuff to hard drives, especially your superhero films. That's how you can do reshoots and edits up to a week before release because all you got to do is push out that large file when you're done. Yeah, you know, render it. You're, you're, the most you're waiting for then is render time. Uh, and it takes away, I think, a little bit, not all the time, but some of the time, the craftsmanship of, of film. And yeah, watch this film. It's an hour long, but you'll find a lot more in it. There's alternate camera angles, their use of sets, use of location. It, you run the entire gambit. It's literally a course in filmmaking watching this movie. Um, well, yeah, just to pick up on that, like yeah. the black and white. Um, you know, there's, I can't remember which scene it is. Maybe it was the, the scene with Lou, mm-hmm. but there's like a, in, in Walter's apartment, there's like a swinging light. that's like mm-hmm. alternating the black and, and the white. It's just, you don't think of Roger Corman and think artistic, but you could watch bucket of blood and analyze the visuals of it. The same way you would talk about a Hitchcock film from the same period. Absolutely. Oh yeah, absolutely. This would this goes up next to some of those uh, Hitchcock films for sure. You know, I mean, again, these are guys who want to tell horror stories, but they're limited by censorship of what they can show and budget. You know, that's really what they're limited to here. As far as everything else is their talent and their craft, and 
yeah, I I love this movie too. This is really one of those where you should watch for sure. Uh, don't let it be the fact that it's some B movie. And if you get this wonderful, really thin Digiview version, you get this wonderful, wonderful nineteen. What is this from? You no, know, this was made. This was produced in two thousand four. But there's an ad at the end for their other movies, which are all like public domain. But they have this graphic, this wonderful MS Paint graphic with a <laughs> skull and they play some music and they've got a window there where they composite clips from their film um, against it, you know, the films that they show. But it's just this wonderful, cheesy and the little eyes on the skeleton with the with the candle on it glow as the clips play. But it's so like <laughs> not even for 2004. It's like 90s. Hey, Why aren't you playing that right now in the stream, Mark? I, I'm, I'm disappointed. I, I know. I, <laughs> I thought about ripping it and possibly showing it, uh, but <laughs> no. But I, I, one more thing I'm going to say about the this, and, and then we'll close it up for the night, is this DVD here has an animated menu. This little thin has an animated menu, has a shot in the background uh, with kind of an artistic DVD menu. And the reason I bring it up is I've recently been doing the Discovery series uh, where I've been reviewing films released on disc. And I mentioned this to Don Shanahan as well from Earth's Mightiest Critics and such. And I'm like, the art of the DVD menu, and Ian, we had this discussion, has been lost. <laughs> totally. Yes. I mean, they're all the cookie cutters saved now, whereas you get something like this and it's got more of a creative menu on it than the majority of the modern Blu-rays I've seen. The the Blair Witch 2 DVD mm -hmm. menu and House of a Thousand Corpses DVD menu. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that one, one is crazy. That was the one that was Sid Haig coming out and yeah. like, oh, Hell, shit the bed. <laughs> And, and I mentioned to Ian last week or the week before, for mine, the favorite one was the Abyss one. I mean, it's Jim Cameron, of course. He he, I watched everything he produced, but that Abyss special edition that they released with the extra however many minutes of footage has so many little menu Easter eggs and shit on it. You've got multiple menus, animated menus, because that was a feature for when they did the whole DVD video. You know, on the DVD, you've rented... It says DVD promo. So they got a sizzle reel for DVD, though you got the media. Never mind that. But it's animated menus. <laughs> you know. Well, it's saying like with the advent of, you know, 4K, like the picture and the sound keep getting better. Mm -hmm. But the special features aren't keeping pace. And I understand it's a budgetary thing because physical media isn't what it used to be back in the heyday. Of I want DVD. my commentary. All my exactly. commentaries too yeah. exactly and well i mean just recently uh on my shows i'm not trying to show myself at all but i'm just saying there's a two releases that came out last week lost boys and poltergeist and it's a tale of two releases the lost boys has more extra footage and, and in minutes runtime has more extras than the runtime of the film whereas poltergeist which is the more classic if you will whatever has four extras and two of those aren't even directly related to poltergeist they're just a paranormal show that talks about the elements in poltergeist and how they apply to real world paranormal investigation which is great but it only equates to maybe 40 minutes of extras lost boys has over two hours plus 
commentary from Schumacher, which is all bittersweet because they've got Corey Haim on there and Schumacher, and you're like, oh. But at yeah. the same time, you know, so just bringing it back around, yes, Bucket of Blood, it, it, I think it's public domain now and that, but still has a better menu on it than most modern menus, uh, you know. Now, have you all seen the remake? No. There was Anthony a remake. Michael Hall plays Walter Paisley. I maybe that's why I didn't watch it because evil didn't <laughs> evil didn't die tonight. It just formed in the clay. What? Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> Leave my all the beans alone. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. Didn't mean to didn't mean to pick out your all the beans. When did the, when did this come out? Nineties. It was in the nineties. I think it was a was made for TV. Uh, wow, I'll have to look that oh, up. I, I didn't realize they made it remade the bucket. Uh, I remember when they made Wizard of remade Wizard of Gore. I was like, really? Uh, <laughs> um, I, well, since we're plugging releases, I can say that the Olive Films, if you can find it, uh, Blu-ray has a ton of extra features on there, including like the commentaries and retrospectives on Dick Miller and all this crazy stuff. So, yeah, I don't oh. think it has animated menus, though, unfortunately. No animated menus. Oh, well, that just it sucks. No, I but actually, here, here, here's why I think I didn't realize it, because a bucket of blood 1995, which is when it came out with Anthony Michael Hall and Justine Bateman. Justine Bateman was Carla and Anthony Michael Hall. Was Holy Walter. crap. Sam Lloyd was Leonard. Wow. David Cross was Charlie. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, Paul Bartell was played older man. I'm guessing he was the uh, they didn't give him the right name. Oh, Jennifer Coolidge is in there, too. Uh, but uh, yeah, the reason it was is because it was actually released under a different title. It was released. Right. It was released as the death artist. And that's probably why I didn't realize that it was uh, it, it was a remake is because it was released under the title Death Artist. So there you have it, folks, uh, A Bucket of Blood, you know, written by Charles B. Griffith, who was a Corman regular. He wrote all the wonderful early Corman stuff, Little Shop of Horrors, Death Race 2000. Yeah, he involved in all that. And you can see why. So check it out. Don't let the black and white scare you especially if you're a fan of Dick Miller or just really good horror films, check it out. And now as always, this is where I give my crew the license to shill. First, I just want to say thank you to all our commentators and our viewers. We had a lot of viewers tonight. Thank you so much. Our listeners out there. I appreciate every single one of you, but yes, license to shill for my crew. Angelique ladies first, what do you got to shill? Um, I've been kind of quiet lately, still kind of settling in down here in Savannah. Uh, but uh, going to start perking up this October. Just keep your eyes on monstersmadnessandmagic.com. Yeah, a lot of great stuff there. You guys you guys over at... I, I feel bad for not being able to do more for the channel, but you guys got so many wonderful interviews in that. If you're into cult and pop culture stuff, you got to check out all the wonderful interviews, the team and just... They're all doing... You guys are all doing great down there. That's awesome Thanks. stuff. Awesome stuff. And speaking of awesome stuff, Ian, you have stuff to plug. Please shill away. Uh, well, I'm Ian Simmons. I run Kicking the Seat, which you can find at kickseat.com, including my written review of Don't Worry, Darling, which uh, we talked a little bit about earlier. Um, yeah, he almost got banned from the Internet. No, just kidding. <laughs> I I'm seriously going to have to read this. I had a publicist reach out to me right after it went up, asking me for more details on the leaked 
audio or video transcript that I published. No offense to you, Ian. Please do not take offense at all to this, but I don't know what more says about this film that's out. Don't worry, darling. It's the fact that uh, you know, Ian one wrote this wonderful yet scathing review, or the fact that the publicist thought this leak may have been real. I, that's, <laughs> yeah, I, I thought about that too, and I was like, you know, I'm not going to take this down mostly because I would like to see what would happen if I actually had to stand there and say, You really think that these people are that vapid? Huh? <laughs> wow, oh, wow, I, um. So, but yes, that's, that's that. But also, um, the kicking the seat YouTube channel, we're gearing up for scary season. So starting next month, we're going to be doing Friday night live streams. So yes, I'll be doing two live streams a week, Mark, Uh yours on Tuesday. And then Fridays, we're going to be talking about horror movies. And, uh, I've got, I'm trying to do exclusively horror content for all October, which I haven't really done before. Um, got a lot of things lined up and yeah i'm, I'm probably going to be i'll be dead by the time Halloween goes around, so, yeah. well that'll make your costume easy <laughs> my wife can just pack me in clay and call she'll it a night she'll just there, dra- you go. there you go there you drag go out exhausted, the yard. Man. Yeah. exhausted, exhausted man. man drag you out to the yard put you in clay have you hold the bucket and kids can come up and just take the bu- yeah there you go yeah Look yeah. at that. You got yourself your <laughs> Halloween decorations set up right there. So, Thanks, gang. Um, Thanks for welcome. planning my funeral. <laughs> you know, if, if not your friends, who else? Right. <laughs> Excellent point. We, <laughs> nothing lo- but love for you, Ian, even though you seem to have something against Florida. So, no, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Sorry, I had, to, I had to Much throw like that. the citizens of Florida, I can't wait for Ian to be over. Um, <laughs> We hope everyone stays safe, our listeners down there in the South, Angelique, and, and all those in Florida. We joke, but we're serious. I hope everybody stays yeah. safe during this storm. And uh, as far as my part goes, uh, outside of normal shills, if you're at all bored, specialmarkproductions.com, if you're at all. But we uh, got a couple things I'll plug is the Sawdust City Fright Fest. We are gearing up second weekend in October. So, yeah, 10 days from this time of recording, uh, we are uh, pr- we are showing a Cole Meredith who's been on the podcast. Uh, his sh- movie Rise, his feature films finally done. We'll be showing that Friday night. And then Saturday, we'll be having blocks of shorts and features and filmmakers for every block so far scheduled for Q&As. So that's in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, second week in October. Uh, be there. And then the third week in October, head over to Milwaukee for Twisted Dreams, where they got a lot of great stuff, including the Wisconsin exclusive showing of Shakespeare Shitstorm. So my wife is going with me because there's there's a certain thing happening. Um and going with me for support. Uh, but you're going to have to tell us about it at some point, Mark. <sighs> okay, fine. <laughs> I, I'm Twisted Dreams, part of the reason I'm going to Twisted Dreams. Not only is this a cool fest and Sh- Shakespeare Shitstorm's showing, but uh, apparently I, I've, I've won an award. Okay, I've got the, the 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 backbone of Wisconsin indie horror, basically given to someone who has supported indie Wisconsin horror, and for my many years, apparently, uh, they are giving me an award for all the years I've been doing this crazy crazy thing that I can only do That's with so great. 
Thank you. I, I can only do with uh, my crew members and my listeners and my watchers. It's all because of you guys. I, I do very little. It's it's all you and your support, and I thank you. And yeah, it's it's happening. So my wife, that's our weekend just before our anniversary, by the way. she's That's how much she loves me. She doesn't do indie <laughs> horror. She's going down with me to support me for indie horror uh, weekend. And yeah, so that's going to be happening. So that's awesome. Mark, tell me, I, I assume you haven't seen the award yet. I have not. Backbone of Wisconsin horror. I hope it's a spinal column rising up out of a block of cheese. <laughs> yes. I, I'm not sure about the cheese part, but I am told that it may actually be made of real bones. So we'll see what happens. Cool. Uh, should be interesting. And yeah, I'm, I'm very honored and very humbled by it. I just do this and people seem to actually come and want to be on my show. And it's, it's a great honor. So thank you all enough of all that. Uh, everybody stay safe, have fun and uh, yeah. Enjoy your spooky season and have a good night. Oh, I should, before we go one more thing, October is Halloween. Yes. Go to specialmarkproductions.com right now. You will see the schedule for October and the films we will be covering for the month. Yes, it is spooky season and we're covering the original Hellraiser. We're going to cover the Hellraiser 2022 because it'll be out by the second week. The third week will be Hellraiser 2 as part of our horror of 1988. And then the final week we're covering The Cell. So, uh, yeah, it should be a wild week, uh, month uh, in there as well. Coverage of the Sawdust City Fright Fest and whatever else I come up with. So I'll stop blabbling. Thank you so much, all. And now we we'll just say good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. Just, just remember the day and put it in clay. There you go. <laughs> <laughs>